You are valued, and you are needed. You will be emperor. I think you're about to go where everyone has gone before. The year is 2023. The name of the podcast, Babylon 5, for the first time. Welcome to Babylon 5 for the first time, not a Star Trek podcast. My name is Jeff Aiken, and I am the one who was. And I'm Brent Allen, and I am the one who will be. And we're watching Babylon 5 for the first time for you, the one who is. Jeff and I are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching Babylon 5 for the first time, searching for Star Trek-like messages that are being done in a uniquely Babylon 5 way. And while this is not a podcast about Star Trek, we are sure to pull in those references. So to help us with that, we play the rule of three. That means each one of us gets up to and no more than three references to Star Trek per episode. That's it. Three. Uno, dos, tres. No substitutions, exchanges, or refund. <laughs> hey, Brent. Hey, Jeff. I'm going to share three reviews with us this week because we got a short one. Okay. And I'm going to start off with a two-star review. This one is from Apple Podcasts, and it's from Koala Brownie. Koala Brownie says, never quite enjoyable. If you're not a big fan of Babylon 5 and want to hear people complaining constantly about the things you also didn't like, you'll find this validating. This will totally be your jam. But if instead you have a fondness for the show and want to re-experience it vicariously, this will be frustrating and uninteresting. The two podcasters will sometimes profess their love for the show, but these comments are layered between derision, disinterest, and dismissal. They characterize themselves as being grounded in episodic sci-fi and then criticize the plot for not moving fast enough. In the balance of things, the investment is not worth the payoff. I feel like that is somebody who, first of all, is not listening to this podcast right at this point. So whoever you are, Koala Brownie, I hope you found something out there that you like better. Everybody deserves to be happy. Um, that's probably a person who got lost in the middle of season two. Probably. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they started listening, started going through. Uh, but that's also somebody who never understood what this show is actually about. And seen and and have been able to see the entire journey, uh, up, upon which we we have embarked. So, and because we read them all, Brent, we have a five star review. Oh yes, famine, famine, famine. I don't know. Famine, fam, famine, something. Famine says, "Awesome podcast. I really love the discussion. It gets me to relive the show again." Hey, listen, famine, famon, uh, he gets the show or she gets the show. <laughs> so because I was a short one, we have another five star review. Oh, yes. This one is from audible and admittedly it's an older one. So I pulled this, uh, for the season three wrap up and we have a couple on audible that were from a little while ago that I've plugged in here so i gotta imagine we don't check the reviews on audible that often because like that's not something we're on all the time i checked it before the season two and season three wrap-ups i'm gonna be better about it because like we have some there and it's cool and we love them and uh so we're gonna be better about it this one's from jc and jc i apologize for not getting this out sooner but jc says there seems to have recently been a resurgence in interest in the show Multiple YouTubers reacting to episodes, numerous podcasts, all with slightly different takes. Babylon 5 for the first time is one of the better podcasts, hosted by two people, neither of whom have seen the show before and so far have been lucky to avoid most spoilers. Hearing their views reminds me of what it was like to see the show for the first time. They're often wrong in their predictions, but sometimes hit quite close to the mark. I don't always agree with their opinion of certain episodes, but it's always an honest opinion and possibly opinions I would share if I was watching B5 for the first time now instead of 30 years ago. What was new then has become far more commonplace. Multi-season story arcs, characters developing over time, no sign of the reset button that plagued Star Trek. 
30 years ago, we had a lot less sci-fi on our screens, so we might have been a bit more accepting of dodgy CGI and some slightly ropey storylines than we would be today. However, the podcast is rapidly approaching the third season, and I cannot wait to see how they react to some of the episodes to come over the coming months. Yet another one where I would say this person gets us. It, it, it's it's about reliving. And listen, the episodes that we didn't like, we were honest about. It was an episode we didn't like. And again, I go back to, I, we said this so much back then. You guys are watching this with the foreknowledge of what's happening and what's to come. And you're looking at this in the light of that. And we don't have that knowledge because as this reviewer pointed out, we have so far remained unspoiled. And thank you to everyone out there yes. helping us stay unspoiled whether it's you're just preventing yourself or you're helping the comments stay spoiler free. Uh, that has been Jeff. We're, 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 we're almost there. I know like we're almost there. It will be fine. But uh, yeah, listen, just give an honest review for where it is and let people join us along the way and laugh with us and laugh at us. Both are very okay. But if you don't agree with what we say, that's okay. But if you just want to come here to hear us, say what you think you want us to say like that's not what we're it's not us yeah it's not who we are yes so thank you to the last two and even the first one you took the time hey listen it meant something to you well jeff you know along with reading reviews was something we love on this show along with our rule of three another thing that we like to do on the show is make predictions we had our, our last reviewer talk about making predictions uh we tend to get to the end of the episode i mean eventually get to the end of an episode that that yeah, we always get there it happens at some point sometimes a little sooner than others and sometimes a lot later than others uh but when we get there what we do is we take a look at next week's episode based on title alone and make a prediction as far as what that could be about we don't know anything we haven't seen thumbnails we haven't uh read descriptions we know nothing about what's to come and this is the time where we look back last week to see what we thought this week was going to be about. Jeff, do you remember what you said the long night was going to be and how close were you? So I, I am a hundred percent convinced that Brent's time travel foray from last week was successful because what I said was there's going to be a shadow on the station and somehow they're going to broker an alliance between the, the league worlds and Babylon five to go take on the shadows. And, um, the end uh, kind of came to fruition, but my path there was way off. Uh, so I'm glad that you had a safe time travel trip and that JMS was uh, receptive to your pitch. Listen, I, I keep saying it, it. It's weird how this works. Like we I, I feel like even now we are affecting what happened 30 years ago. Like uh-huh. it's it's just yeah. weird. It's, it's weird how it goes. Um, I said that given the title, this is a type of title that you use when the war is upon you, when you get to the big battle. It's very weird to me that this is episode five, because I would think this would be like episode 15 or 20 later on in the season. That's not exactly what happened, because I said there'd be these big battle scenes and epic stuff happen. I said there'd be an all out war between the Vorlons and Babylon five. And that's none of that happened. None of that happened. Um it was more Sheridan and crew planning, taking steps forward and planning. Um, but the one thing I nailed, absolutely nailed, was I said that this would be the episode where Veer and Londo would uh, enact their plan to assassinate Cartagia. And that 100% happened. He's gone. And Londo's prime minister? Yeah. Well, Jeff, for those out there who did not watch this one first coming into it, or maybe they've never seen it before, they're just listening to the podcast why don't you let the people out there know exactly what really happened in the long night? Captain Sheridan says it's time to end the war, but history has shown us that before the end, there's the final battle. We see one of those and also see the beginning of another. Emperor Cartagia and his entourage have arrived on Narn. Londo's hard at work lining his people up. As Cartagia enjoys and then brutally murders a court jester, Veer is busy procuring the perfect poison. The stage is set, and it's time. Cartagia calls the court to order, asking how Jakar pleads to a litany of charges. He answers, both with authority and with his fists. Jakar breaks loose his bonds through sheer force of will and attacks the guards. Fearing for the Emperor's safety, Londo ushers him into an anteroom. 
Cartagia continues to bloviate, and Londo, Londo tells him to be quiet. When the reckoning that Londo will face once he dies comes to pass, this moment just might be on the ledger. You see, everything is falling apart. Londo has dropped the poison, and Cartagia, a cold-blooded killer, is strangling him. But just as all is about to be lost, Cartagia turns right into the waiting poison needle, held not by Londo, not by Jakar, but by Veer. Veer has killed Emperor Cartagia. From here, everything falls into place. No one suspects poison, and Londo is elevated to prime minister. He orders the Centauri to leave Narn and freeze them. The Narns celebrate, and Veer faces the harsh reality of his life. The story is far from over, though. As the Narns celebrate, some call for retribution. They want to strike back at the Centauri, but Jakar forbids it. But it's not quite clear if Citizen Jakar holds the sway that Jakar of the Kari once did. With one war possibly over, we move closer to another possibly reaching the end of its road. With the Vorlons taking out planets touched by the Shadows... They're now reciprocating, and the shadows are destroying worlds that were once touched by the Vorlon. They have a nasty, powerful planet killer, and it is horrifying. And to make matters worse, the Vorlons are headed to a planet with over 6 billion people on it, Coriana 6. Knowing the alliance among the League worlds won't be enough, Sheridan has a bold plan. Bring the shadows into the fight against the Vorlons. It's a simple plan, really. I mean... It's not perfect, but it shows Sheridan's I'd-do-anything approach. He reaches out to one of my new favorite rangers, Erickson. He tells Erickson that his ship is the only one with intel that, if the Shadows got their hands on, would ensure that they would cut off the Vorlon attack on Coriana 6. Erickson and his crew are to attack a Shadow base, ensure the rest of the White Star ships can escape, and then get blows up so the Shadows get the plans, take the bait, and head into the battle. It's rough, but it works. Erickson and his Minbari crew make the ultimate sacrifice, and everyone is headed to Coriana 6. Sheridan closes out the episode by saying, on one side the Vorlons, on the other the Shadows, and Malcolm in the middle. Brent, what were your feelings on the long night? Well, I'm, I'm really just sad that you didn't go Vorlons on the left and the Shadows on the right. It's stuck in the middle with you. Right. Really so it. many ways to go with this one. But kudos to the Malcolm in the middle. <laughs> Thanks. Um, okay, let's just get this out. Of, well, uh, okay. This season, Jeff, has been a very weird season. It's it's different from what we've seen in Babylon 5 so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we talked about this maybe in the last couple of episodes, but this episode holds true once again. We have moved into a hyper-serialized style of storytelling and so much of these episodes is just watching it going huh okay hmm everything's moving forward everything's happening but it, it it's it's just like so this is what's happening okay cool there's not much to say about it though you know what i mean yeah i'm enjoying it I've I've got to wonder, and as a as a podcaster, Jeff, I try to stay away from serialized like hyper serialized shows like this on an episode by episode basis. Like I think these are best done in like three and four episode chunks, just because of the nature of it. Like you don't really get enough in one episode to really talk about. So I liked it. I think I did. I I have a question though, Jeff, that okay. I'm starting to wonder about. We're only on episode five. Of season four. I think you and I are thinking, wondering the same thing. Yeah. Are are we going to get to the end of the Vorlon Shadow War early? And then there's other stuff in the last part of the season that it like, because everything for the last three seasons and five episodes has been building to this big, huge war. I would expect it to come at the end of season four. Same. That's where I would think it would be. But is it, is are we there? Cause like, was it yet? Did we do this on mic in the show or was this after show you and I were discussing how soon they were going to kill Cartagia. We did it on, on, you know, we put the over under, I put it at three and then like an idiot. I took the over. Right. And I took Ooh, the under. Yeah. Right? yeah <laughs> I was over. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like Jeff. I 
think we might be wrapping up this Vorlon war because I don't see this like what they're doing right here lasting for another 18 episodes. No, this has maybe two or three episodes at most. If it doesn't wrap up in the next episode, all of that to say, I really wonder what it would be like to go watch these first. Let's just say it wraps up in the next episode. What is it to go back and watch these first six episodes as like a mini binge and talk about this story as a whole once you've seen it all? Yeah. How about you? What did you think of this episode? I loved this episode. I thought this was a great episode. It was really well constructed. I think like to your point about we're just kind of watching the things happen. Uh We've had like I, I look at Lost as a really good example that just like kept seeding you know it kept seeding and you're waiting for some sort of payoff and then when you finally got to the payoff you were just like oh oh, okay right or sopranos or game of thrones you can go down the list of ones where they got to the payoff and it was just kind of like a letdown although i would say if you were let down by the ending of lost it probably means you didn't really understand it but it was very convoluted yes you really understood what what they were going for with the ending of lost it actually is it's a beautiful ending go ahead it's brilliant, but I don't think if you were watching that week to week, you watch that last episode and were like, oh, got it. It all like that's a that's a show that you have to go back and just like Babylon five will be for us, I think. But we're on that home stretch. We're watching the things happen and I'm loving it like the way it's executing. I am not disappointed at all. A big part of it is the the writing, the editing, just the, the physical construction of these episodes, the music in this one. It was dark. It was tense, like when when um londo went to poison cartagi and it all fell apart in my head i was like if this was a regular tv show you know it's all going to work out and he's going to get the poison and he's going to do it this is not a regular tv show this is babylon 5 everything's going to fall apart <laughs> we're going to add more to this and then have londo as a bad guy and do all this stuff but the way that it came together was so unexpected and so amazing, but when you like when I watched the episode the second time and took my notes, it wasn't that unexpected. Those seeds were there that Veer was going to do it down to their facial expressions and everything. It was just this was an excellently put together episode. One of the things I loved about it was there were only two stories in this. There were only two things happening. There were no sidetracks in those stories whatsoever. And aside from a little bit at the beginning and a little bit at the end. These stories were told on their own. Like we didn't cut from set from Narn to Babylon five and back. We were on Narn for the first like 15 minutes of the episode. Yeah. Pretty much solid five or whatever it was. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was, it was really, really well done. Yeah. I I enjoyed this one a lot. Um, Brian Cranston in this episode. Did you, I noticed that as a, as a name, like right away. Really? And I was like, I love Brian Cranston. He is a phenomenal yeah. actor. And I was so excited to see what they're going to do with him. And then it turns out he was a dude on a screen yeah. just standing there talking, which was uh, he looks so young. You're like, this has super early in his career. Like, we don't know Heisenberg yet. Right. Yeah. I, but I did like him because I, I, I for a moment I was like, oh, is he going to get like David Warner type guest? Like, is he going to do something? And no, he didn't. That's okay. Stand by. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take your Babylon 5 for the first time experience to the next level? With our exclusive Patreon, you'll get access to all kinds of cool stuff that you can only find there. Our recording notes, unedited reaction videos, an exclusive Discord community, and you can even be listed as a producer of the show. Plus, we even offer exclusive meet and greets and hangouts. You won't find this kind of experience anywhere else. Get all these amazing benefits, plus the opportunity to interact with other fans from around the world. It's being part of a huge community where everyone shares the same appreciation for Babylon 5. Subscribe at patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. That's the number five in the word first to get access to these incredible benefits. That's patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. We can't wait to see you there. But his his narration, like, you know, Sheridan was in his office listening to the battle and listening to Erickson call it out. And it was like, I felt it. It was so good. Yeah. It's funny because... 
um, gosh, I don't know, around the end of the school year, last year, maybe a little sooner, my daughter got into Malcolm in the Middle. I think it was on Hulu. And um, like you watch like you watch Malcolm in the Middle, and it's great. It's so good. Like a lot of it really holds up really well. But you you can see those seeds for what Breaking Bad allowed him to really do and become. You can see those same things here, where he's just in front of a screen or just voiceovering, and it's great. Yeah. I loved the scene. I loved the scene where Sheridan was breaking it down, like when he was telling him what had to happen. That was amazing leadership by Sheridan to do it in front of all the league people. There was no behind-the-door stuff, very transparent, very clear, and great leadership by Erickson to be like, yeah, I understand. This is what we're doing. We're in. I was disappointed because all he had to say, you know, when Sheridan was like, this, you know, this, this is what it's going to be, how it's going to go. Erickson just had to say, we live for the one, we die for the one. And that wasn't there. We right. got the, uh, we got the whole, you know, we all know what we signed up for chief. We got this. It was, it was great. It was a good moment, but I'm like, you've got the lore. You got this stuff right here right. to make that powerful. So, I mean, Jeff, let's call this plan what it is. This is in the pale moonlight. This Babylon five does in the pale moonlight where we're going to bring the Romulans into the war. I'm sorry. We're going to bring the shadows into the war. They're kind of already there. It's not the same thing. It's not Sheridan having a crisis of conscience over the whole deal, but that's the plan. Let's get, we're going to put these two together and just let them clash. Well, okay. Let's talk about the plan. Cause I, let me hit you real quick. And then let's talk about the plan. But yeah. I do want to say on that thought, I love the thought. But this is a rare occasion, I think, where Deep Space Nine actually went darker oh, absolutely. than Babylon 5. I don't I don't think that these two plot lines were in any way, shape, or form connected, lifted. There is too much different here to say that you pulled the same ideas. Yeah, it's literally like the only thing you can say is it took these two outside forces and shoved them together in a in a in a rough way. Except, in a difficult except the way. shadows aren't aren't an outside force they're very much a part of it it's just hey we're gonna force you guys to go fight yeah we're forcing the issue that's all it is the other one literally was we're gonna draw you into it and you're trying to stay out of it so yeah yeah i'm with you on that i don't think it's that but it's it's that same it has the same feel to it let's put it that way when i first heard i had to go back and rewatch this scene a few times where he's delivering the plan because when he says i want to bring the shadows into it what I was what I was thinking was, wait, is he calling for some sort of a meeting? Because it sounded the way he was talking, like I'm just going to call a meeting with the Vorlons. We're going to go have a diplomatic powwow. No, that's not the case. He's actually going to force them to fight, and then he's going to bring the shadows in and just let them duke it out and hopefully get out of the middle of it. Minimize minimize their damage as much as they can. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think of the plan? Is that a good plan to go with? Like, because they they talked earlier in the episode about their their they're giants in a sandbox and they don't care what kids they're stepping on. That was a great analogy for what this is, but I think it's, it's hard to say if that's a good plan or not, right? Because no matter what the plan is, you have to, like he, we saw him very personally send Erickson and his team to their death, but he's going to send tens of thousands of others. That first wave that he was talking about, that first wave is getting destroyed, right? Those ships are not going to make it back. So like, is, is it a good plan? No, it's horrible. Like so many people are going to die. But on the other hand, it's a great plan because if it works, then, then you, like you said, they want Armageddon. Let's give them Armageddon. And he will. Vorlons are coming in force. In fact, what we've seen is there's just kind of this mass, this fleet of Vorlon vessels that are, that are going through space. And so it's not like they're all over the galaxy hitting stuff. They're there. So bring the shadows force that final battle right. is a huge risk. I, I also think though, that the risk wasn't massive. The risk was Erickson's ship. Mm -hmm. So if he went out and it didn't work, they lost a ship Yeah, and they changed the plan, right? They change, they, they go back to the drawing board. They can't not do something. There are 6 billion people. Jeff, on Corian let, me, let me ask you, you were in the military. You served on a ship, a boat, but yes, on a, on a boat. Sorry, a boat. Right, there's always that, that, that line in, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, or it's, like, it's a pretty boat, it's like a ship, sorry, or whatever. <laughs> uh -huh. Anyway, so you're on a boat. If put yourself in Brian Cranston's position, hey, we're going to send you out. This means certain death, but you are military because this was this was him as a ranger with all his Mimbari Rangers. This is what they signed up for. Mm -hmm. Where this is part of the plan, and you will go die, but it's going to mean all of this other good stuff happens. 
how do you as a as a person who's a potato peeler down in the bottom or, or a helmsman or you know not somebody on the bridge not a commander how do you feel in that moment i think about for example so for me i was i was so very fortunate i served in the mid 90s i i like to tell people i was in clinton's navy and our enemy was dirt <laughs> and our enemy fell I, I could strip and wax a deck like nobody's business, you know, and I mean, we did things. There's stuff that happened, but nothing, nothing to this scale. And so, you know, I, I had joined like so many people during that time joined out of a sense of, you know, honor and loyalty, but really also because like, I didn't want to go to college yet. Um, you know, I wasn't ready for that, that path in, in my life. That's what happened when we went to Afghanistan and Iraq, mm-hmm. most of the people serving at that point were, yeah, I'm going to go on, I'm going to get the GI Bill, I'm going to go to college, learn a couple skills, like I'm going to do that. And then all of a sudden, like, no, uh, you're you're going to the desert and you're going to watch your friends die. A lot of people did, did exactly what Erickson did. Yep, this is what this is the job. This is what I'm here for. Let's let's go and do that. I can say for me on a submarine, we went through so much psychological screening before we were ever allowed to even set foot on an actual boat uh-huh. that if the order came down that this is going to happen and you're going to go down and make it happen, we would have plopped into that training and we would have done it. It would have just been another thing that we did. That's, I think the thing the military is very good at, right? Is just building that routine so that, yeah, when this is happening, it's not a big deal thing. You're just doing your job and you know how it's going to end. And that's kind of what I suspect and, and had anticipated out of this whole group. Like, yeah, it sucks. You're going to go die. This is going to happen, but this is what you're here for. Mm-hmm. And here's all the good stuff that that hopefully is going to happen out of the middle of that. Uh, Jeff, I did want to want to bring this up early in the episode, real early in the episode. Ivanova comes in. She and Sheridan are having a little chit chat, right? And she, you know, she's talking about like, you know, hey, we just had another ten ships join, and we've never seen anything this big. And you're doing amazing. And I would like to read my note exactly as I have it written. Wait, has Sheridan created a federation of planets that are united? I think he has. (laughs) I think that's been the Vorlon plan all along. Ah, The Vorlons. This is how Star Trek gets started. That's what it is. It told us the whole time. All the people out there, you guys out there have told us. Star Trek is what it is when we get there. Babylon 5 is how we get there. This is literally how the Federation gets started. This is such a better story than the one they gave us in Enterprise. Like, this is, I'll take this one. That whole scene, though, Brent, it was so good. Uh It was so good. Because the other thing that Sheridan has created is a leader in Ivanova. Yeah. I, I was reminded, you know, she told her story. We learned more about how her mom passed and kind of what happened there. But she didn't want to go right she's like i want to be there when this happens in my whole life people have told me they'll be waiting they'll this or whatever and they haven't been this reminded me of and i don't remember the season one episode but there's one where she wanted to go out in a star fury and do something or sinclair was going to go out and she's like well i want to go too and she's like what am i supposed to do here just stand on the command deck running to and fro and fro and to all day like let me out there let me do the stuff and I feel like this was a really good callback to that and her being like, no, you're not going to set me to the side. I'm going to be in this and I'm going to command part of this fleet. Like that's what you have trained me to do. And I'm going to do it. Ah, that's good. Like, Don't you dare set me on the side of this. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not doing that. I just, you started this other thing and I need you to go do that. And wasn't I saying that like way back at the beginning of the third season, they need to go recruit the first ones. And apparently at one point, Delenn's like when she's giving her speech, she's like, we will have first ones. We've been recruiting them for some time. And I'm like, yeah, uh, 12 minutes is how long you've been recruiting them for. <laughs> Hopefully it's going better than last time. I want um, I want that job, by the way. Just flying around and looking for first yes, ones? Not the other dude's job. I want the going to look for the first one's job. That's 100% the one I want. But you know what I was? you just made me think of talking about looking for the first ones? Ivanova got the party first ones, the tiki head guys, to be like, yeah, just come out and say our names and we'll come and help. She did it by like saying, hey, the Vorlons are blah, blah, blah. And they're like, ah, oh, we hate the Vorlons. Those guys are awful. We'll be. Well, I kind of get it now. I wonder if this is something they've done 
in the past, like overstepped their bounds. It's just getting bigger this time. That's an interesting thought. Jeff, that's all I had on this particular side of the plot. Do you want to jump over to the Londo and Jakar stuff? I have a middle thought. So I, w- I was thinking, well, I forget what you were talking about just a minute ago, but I was thinking about oh, about how like, are there just these four or five episode kind of arcs that move? And I mean, we have 17 more episodes in this season after this. And then 22 of season five after that. And yeah, a few movies coming up that. And, and we're doing the big shadow battle next week, like already. So in my head, I'm like, on one hand, I'm like, okay, so no, this won't be the big shadow, shadow battle. There'll be more or whatever. But then I remembered something. I was like, yeah, season three was all about the shadow stuff, right? So the shadows wrapping up or moving towards wrapping up the Centauri Narn stuff that we'll, we'll transition to here in a minute. But then I remember this whole other storyline that happened in season three that we haven't even mentioned in forever. Remember Earth? Right. But what's going to happen there? So maybe that's the next arc. Maybe... Somewhere in this, the sh- shadow and earth connection lets us segue over into kind of dealing with that. Because, I mean, there's Psycor, there's Earth Force, there's Home Guard. We haven't talked about Home yeah. Guard in forever. Bureau 31 or 13 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, All these things. There's Chicky. You know, there's President Clark who's still out there doing weird stuff. Like They were throwing throwing ships at Babylon 5. And then, yeah, we're done because we're going to tell this other story over here so that's got to come back and so it gives me hope that we have more exciting stuff coming up in the season well you know you know what actually that kind of reminds me of a little bit is lord of the rings you know and and these last this last little bit i think i've clued in i i think jms pulled more from lord of the rings than ds9 pulled from babylon 5 uh do you remember lord of the rings and how it had like 18 different endings yeah on like forever what if that's the case here like because you're bringing up a great point like so we get to the end of the nar or the big shadow of Warlon war but then there's the scourging of the shire yeah jeff that's we the next time we do a babylon five show we need to do it through the lens of lord of the rings i bet people would be a lot more open to that the uh, two-star reviews would be a little more kind right, i think right yeah right although those have been very minimal because we have a lot of awesome people out there listening to the show. We a do. lot of awesome. It's the best. So let's talk about Londo. Veer, Cartagia, Jakar. Oof. Let's talk about woof. That court jester. That was woof. Like, did people really used to think that was funny? I know. Really what a court jester used to be. I know that's what we all have in our mind. He's 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 poking people and squeaking a squeaker. That's really what he's doing. I mean my literal thought when he was running around doing his stuff is I was like, oh, because it's like some, you know, Roman throw. Wait, nope, nope. This is in our future that this is happening. Like they used to have TV. They used to have, you know, mm-hmm. prime, you know, entertainment events and stuff. How did they how did their culture slide so much? <laughs> That's fun. I don't know. You know what it really reminded me of? Oh, this is my third one right here. It's OK. You're moving through these fast the clown episode of Voyager. Oh, my God. I feel about the same way, honestly. Yeah. Like I shouldn't say this. I was kind of glad when he lost his head. Although that was a little that was a little over the top for Cartagia, but you know, whatever. I, I let's just say I didn't blame him. Right. Right. Like I understood. I understood. It's <laughs> just horrible. So let's actually get into the well, okay, let me ask you this. Did we know that Centauri have multiple hearts? Nope. I think this is the first thing. So they got there's six six things. We learned that yeah. in quality of mercy. And we we learned more about it in um, Seek Transit Veer. Right. And then now two hearts. So something else we learned about the the, the Vorlons, about the Centauri uh, in a previous episode was they like to use poison. Yeah. And that's exactly what we used here was a poison, an undetectable poison. I'm just calling that out because people think that I don't pay attention and turns out I actually do. It's based on Iocane powder. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. I loved the scene between Londo and Jakar in the cell. The first time we got this, a look at the scene, there was this the whole time so. as he was whispering. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it was just a light across their face. Yeah. And Jakar had the the scar on his eye for the first time, you know, in this this timeline. But he he he's telling him. You do this, you do this. Whatever you do, do not touch the emperor. Whatever you do, do not kill him. You leave that to me. You leave that to us. And do you know what that reminded me of, Jeff? 
Hmm. Do you remember way back in season two, maybe season early season three? I forget exactly who was talking to who, I, but I want to say it was Rifa. Do you remember in Babylon 5 when these two people <laughs> did a thing at some point? I want to, anyway, no, what they were trying to do was they were trying to get Londo to go get the shadows to come in and do some more stuff. Mm-hmm. And Londo was kind of already out on the shadows. He's like, I don't, I don't want to mess with the shadows at all. And they're like, no, no, go get the shadows. And he says this line who he's like, we are Centauri. If we are going to rule the galaxy, then we need to be the ones to do this, not get other people to do it for us. We've got to be the ones to do it. I was thinking about that this whole time when he's sitting there saying, listen, we're going to go do all this. I need your help. Take make this big distraction. But I'm going to take care of the emperor. Not like I'm Centauri. I'm going to do this. Not somebody else. I don't know if those two were if that was meant as anything, if one was foreshadowing of another or anything like that, but that is a connection or parallel that I really, really liked. That's a great one. I did not pick up on that. That's, that's really good. I, I tied a lot of it. One, I just thought it was very big of him, right? Like just that's next level. He said to veer near the end, you know, I will keep my promises, but now he's going to keep his promises. He he's going to do it with a level of dignity through the whole thing for Jakar, which I thought was, was great. But, when Jakar was when they were when they were whispering <laughs> back and forth the whole time, Jakar said, "An empty eye sees through to an empty heart. Your heart is empty, Malari." Mm-hmm. I thought a lot about that line, and at first I was like, "Well, yeah, because like he's having to sacrifice himself to make up. He's, he he feels like he's making up for what he did, but he's not. He's just sweeping up the mess. He's not actually solving any of the problems that you know the the root things and." And that's draining, it's emptying his heart. But then I thought even more, Londo who Londo who was, I forgot how to dance, right? Our favorite Londo. He he let that Londo die to get back into his political scheming and doing the games. And he's used he got into this trouble by political scheming, and now he's trying to get his way out by political scheming. And that moment he let that Londo die is when his heart emptied. But I think that you and I are on the same thing where Londo is Londo is Centauri. That is who and what he is. And he makes his decisions. He does the hard things the Centauri way every time, including taking out the emperor or planning to take out the emperor. Yeah, he didn't really do it. Veer did. Yeah. And Veer, like, Veer's such an interesting character. And might be, I mean, Veer might be a top three interesting character when you really look at who he is, who he was, the journey he has taken, and where he's finding himself. Do you remember when we saw War Without End and Jakar and Londo like choke each other out? And there's Emperor Londo on the ground, and Veer just steps out. His shoulders are back. His head is high. He's looking down his nose and he bends down and he picks up the emperor's crest and just holding it there. That, that was, that was Veer with some stank on him. Yep. You know what I mean? This isn't that Veer yet, but he's getting there, you know? And, and I mean, obviously he's having his whole, his own crisis of conscience. I feel like I'm saying that a lot lately in this, in this season crisis of conscience maybe what was it forgiveness was last last season last season. uh-huh yep this, yep this is it this season's theme is crisis of crises of conscience which probably talk about garibaldi and all that too but whatever but veer you know he turns around and i don't it i don't think that veer had the thing in his hand and the dude just turned around and and walked into it veer had this in his hand and he made the decision i'm stabbing you with this well he had to push a button like there's like they went through the operation of the thing that looked like it might have been I don't know a flute carved from Narn bones <laughs> instead of Centauri bones but but he had to make a series of conscious decisions to to make that happen yeah so Veer's Veer's doing something uh, awesome a- absolutely uh, awesome by the way Stephen first I I asked this question a couple of weeks ago but I'm gonna just say it again. He has definitely lost some weight and he's looking, he's looking pretty, pretty good. Yeah. He was looking, I thought unhealthy, like in the first episode, but he's filling back out. He's, he's whatever, you know, he, he was looking good, but also 
uh, on, on Veer's piece and then to Stephen first. Yeah. And that council kind of council meeting that they were having where Londo had all of his people and he was like, this is the plan. He dies today. This is what it's going to look like. And people started doubting him. Veer's the one who stepped in and was making the pitch on why this needed to happen. Like he, he's holding his own. I remember back it, um, born to the purple was the episode when we ended up with Veer and I think Natoth and the, doing the, like they were negotiating over some of the, the Ragesh three stuff that was going on. And he was out of his league. He didn't know what he was doing. He was asking, calling Londo. He wanted help. He didn't know anything to now where he's looking at all these high powered politicians and people and be like, no, this is what needs to happen. This is what you're going to do. And this is how it's going to go down. He really held his own all the way up to where he has the moment after he kills Cartagia, he's been drinking and he just lays into Londo like that is Veer and maybe even Steven first's like crowning moment. That was amazing. <laughs> he's like, well, I thought, I thought, you know, you should have a drink, but then you can't drink alone. So I took a drink for him and then I took my own drink. And then that just sort of kept just going, going on. But isn't that so classic who Veer is like Veer is in this weird spot where he will do what needs to be done. He will stab you, but you know, what's different about him and Londo Veer has a heart. He cares. It hurts. Londo does not have a heart. I Jeff, I said a while ago and I'm going to, I'm going to reiterate. I'm out on Londo. Londo is irredeemable and I don't care what he does here over these next little, little episodes. He is doing his best to redeem what he can be redeemed, but he had a line where he said, and he, it was in that council meeting you're talking about where they're like, uh, you know, they're like, well, you know, your friend Rifa, and this is really all your fault. And Londo goes, listen, when I die, there will be a reckoning, but for now we've got to do that. I think that's Londo himself recognizing he's going to have to pay in this life or the next, he's going to pay for what he's done. And, and we even in war without end, when we saw old Londo, he's like, just do, this is the, you know, the little bit of redemption to help you do this. Like that's it, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. he can't do much and he's right. He can't do much and he's going to have to pay for this. But in the meantime, he can still try to do the right thing right now. Yeah. Sweep up, sweep up the mess. Yeah. He's trying. And I think the other thing he did that I thought was great was that scene with Veer at the end when he was drunk. That was a shining moment for Londo as well. Veer called him out, right? He's just like, you know, yeah, I've, I've been drinking. It always worked for you, Londo, right? What did he say? He said, uh, how much more do I have to drink before I can look in the mirror and not see myself? Right. Oh, but Londo didn't get defensive in that moment. Like he, he knew what was going on and he sat him down. It was, it was a really good mentor, like mentorship moment with Londo where like he apologized for being mean to him when he first came onto the station and he validated what he did. I love what he said. He said, you did a hard thing to your point. You still have your heart and it is a good heart. He didn't sugarcoat stuff for Veer. He didn't tell him it's all going to be fine. It's Hey, yeah, it was hard, but you're going to be okay. It's good. No, he's like, you will never not see his face. Like this will live with you forever. But then he focused on Veer's strengths and the positives. You know, you have a heart, you care. This is ripping you up. Don't ever lose that. Right. Don't ever lose that. And don't forget how to dance is effectively what he's exactly. Yeah. He's really yeah. saying that, right? Jeff, I know you've got to be dying for it. Stations of the Cross for Jakar. I, I picked up a bunch of them myself. Have at it, man. The seventh station of the cross is Jesus falls for the second time. We get that with Jakar as he's being paraded around uh, the towns, which strangely just looked like a set with uh, some fire in it. But we get the we get the the falls for the second time. The eighth station of the cross was uh, Jesus meets the women of Jerusalem. In that station, a bunch of women came to him and they were crying for him and they were wanting to help and do things. And he said to them, don't weep for me, right? Weep for yourselves and, you know, know that I'm, I'm building a path to salvation. Jakar is greeted by a group of Narns and he says, they must not see that you are afraid. 
be strong. Now, I think this is the fine. This is the end of Jakar's uh, Stations of the Cross. Mm-hmm. But I want to recap. We got the first, second, third, seventh, and eighth of the 14 stations. So he was condemned to death and scourged at the pillar. Uh, he carried his cross. He fell for the first time, fell for the second time, and then met the women of Jerusalem or the Narn of the town. I'm going to I'm gonna say that this was an intentional storytelling vehicle for JMS. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this absolutely looked like Londo, Jesus. I mean, every image you've seen, if you've ever seen any passion play, if you've ever seen any movie about the crucifixion at Easter time or whatever, this is what you saw. Uh, the difference being is, is Jesus didn't have a cross that was over his head that he'd look like he could just lift off his head at any time. At any time. Like there was nothing holding it there. <laughs> the the edit i think this is just more the editing and the the pacing of this this part of the episode where um cartagia is talking to him and and we see londo or not the i'm sorry we see jakar like wrap his hands around the one chain and then wrap his hand around it like that that pacing was very very weird and then he just starts bringing his muscles in and londo said earlier he's like my people have fixed the chains just go get them and then Cartagia goes, I had them changed out anyway. So my question to you, who was right and who was wrong? Or is Jakar just that strong? Bear in mind what we've seen out of the Narn over the years. I think I think this was Jakar being the mom whose kid is stuck under a car, who all of a sudden can lift a car off the ground in the moment. This was sheer force of hatred and will for Jakar. And he broke those chains. They weren't welded together. I'm sorry, dude. If you're going to have chains like that, you've got to weld the links together. Right. You can't just leave them open like that. Yeah, I feel like what in that scene, because I I was a little disappointed in that scene. So I'm just like, oh, the stations are over. Like, this was fun to track. But then I was also like, this is the Passion of the Christ Part 2. This time, Jesus is pissed off. So Cartagia is dead. Londo is now Prime Minister, which... I was a little disappointed because he's supposed to be emperor. And I've got to tell you, Jeff, I'm really struggling here with what is the prophecies that we know are supposed to happen. We know that he and Jakar are supposed to both die with their hands around each other's throats. And we saw that future in war without in part two. We know that Veer is eventually supposed to be emperor. We know that um, we know all of these things. We've also had two people tell us, the future is not set. The future can be changed. So what I'm having a hard time doing is, okay, is this prime minister just a step to becoming emperor or is this the change of the future? Maybe Londo and Jakar don't die with each other's hands around their throat by the end of this. Maybe there is redemption for Londo. I don't think there is, but maybe there is actual redemption for Londo. What do you think? Is it, How are you on that? Like, I think, I think Majel Barrett was pretty clear. You will be emperor. Like that was that part was for certain, and the rest of it was kind of up to toss. And the and Veer is going that. to be emperor. You're right. She did say you will be emperor. That's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And so I think this is a step. I I don't know. I, it, actually, you know, honestly, as I'm thinking about it, it's like it's almost like, hey, we need to get like two more episodes out of this Centauri story. So we're gonna have you pit stop at Prime Minister. We're gonna have you go back to Centauri Prime. Like he told Veer, we have a lot of work to do back home. And that work is going to be setting up for his ascension to emperorhood because there's probably a process for that. It is pretty weird, though, that just random dude gets to walk out and be like, we don't have a plan for a succession to emperorhood, so you should be the prime minister. Any objections? Oh, no, he says, do I have your blessing? And like four guys are like, yeah, these guys just sort of came out of nowhere. I mean, I think we understand that they're the court that we've keep kept. We've kept hearing about. Sorry, let my Kentucky come out right there. Uh, that these guys are the court we have continued to hear about. Um, I think that's who they're supposed to be. We just haven't really seen them a whole lot. Like the only guy we've really seen outside of Rifa was that dude making the really bad jokes. You know? <laughs> yeah. Jokey joke guy or whatever. Who who wasn't here on, on, uh, no. well, you know, we had to leave him back there cause he was, uh, he had a gig that night. So that's where, that's where Londo's going. But Jakar, the Narn come in and they're just ripping down all the, I I'm watching them like tear up the throne set and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, are they doing this? Cause they're not going to use it anymore. Right. They go, go ahead, go crazy. Just go crazy with the guys. We're never going to use it again. Just, <laughs> you know, break it really good. And let's make sure we get a good shot. Cause we're only gonna do it once or something. 
have fun. But then Jakar has this conversation with somebody who I swear we've heard his voice before as a as a as a Narn, but I didn't recognize his face because the face was different from what I what I remember. But basically they're going at it with each other about whether or not hey, let's go kick some Centauri butt. And Jakar says one of the most profound things that I think we probably might need to save for the end. I'm just making a guess, which was just phenomenal. And it is part of the end, what he said. I, I, I thought that whole scene was great, though, because it threw back to midnight on the firing line after the Narn attacked Ragesh 3 and they were in the council chambers and Delenn was like, when does it stop? Yeah. You do this, so they do this, so they do this. And Jakar, who is in that meeting, she was saying that to him in this moment. He's like, it stops now. This is where it stops. I loved when he said, too, he's like, they're already dead. Like, there's no point in us going after them. They're already a dying people. We should pity them. Yeah. Oh, oh that was that was uh, phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. And if you don't cover that in, in the, the Delta Fury portion, I'm going to lose my stuff. Anyway, well, uh, one thing, I, I st- have no idea how you remember these names. Bragesh. How do you pull that out? I mean, that finally was the first episode. Yeah, it's a very memorable episode, I feel like. Oh. Jeff. And I think I had jokes about Ragesh 3. So <laughs> I remember that we saw Londo's ne- whatever happened to Londo's nephew, John Mullaney, the Centauri. Like, where's that guy? Whatever happened. I bet I, he shows up. Whatever happened to I, I, I remember the the whole the that that first season signs importance episode, like the the season namesake, all of a sudden, like the big thing was about the eye. We haven't we haven't even talked about the eye since. There's the eye, but it's now Jakar's eye, but it's a nah, and what? Yeah. But you know, Brent, eh, nothing. There's nothing wasted in Babylon 5. As a Except we still have a se- the better part of a season and a half and more to go. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to. I'm teasing. No, he's not. Just folks. teasing. Please send all your emails to Jeff at Babylon 5 first. That's the number five, the word first dot com. And uh, please let him have it. Please. Well, Jeff. I think we've reached that part of the show where it is time to boil it all down and see if this show or this episode really has any of those deep moral messages holding up a mirror to society, giving us hope or even even showing us the path to a better future, Jeff. And how much does it do it in a uniquely Babylon 5 way? Because this is, after all, not a Star Trek podcast. So, Jeff, you're going to be the one to do that by rating this episode on a scale of zero to five Delta Furies, a combination of the Deltas and the Star Furies we used to do, pushing them all together. We're going to see how strong the message is and just how Babylon 5 it was done. I really pulled two things out of this one. One of them was uh, there was a really great back and forth what we talked about between Londo and Veer, where Londo was kind of taking, taking his lumps for being a jerk to, to Veer all that time. But he said that he treated Veer poorly because he was envious of him. He was envious that he was able to get to where he was and still maintain a level of innocence. He's envious because he was able to do what he did with Cartagia and still have that, that, uh, that guilt and still have a good heart. I, I just thought this was an incredible message because much like, um, I, I think it was in, I think it was in interludes and examinations when I talked about, love and the things that love makes us do. Whereas here we see what envy can make us do. And envy is an us thing, right? I'm not envy of you, Brent, because you did this or you did that. I'm envy envious of you because of my perception of what you did or whatever. It's a me thing that I can deal with. In this, we saw Londo acknowledging that for the first time. And I thought that was incredible. But the big message in this one, the one that's going to move us to actually scoring real Delta Furies. Jakar says, I did not remove one dictator from the throne just to become a dictator myself. There's uh, endless amounts of stories out there about revolutionaries, rebels, who go and they topple a tyrant, a horrible individual, a horrible government, just within a very amount of short amount of time to become the exact same thing themselves. We see this happen today, right now, at this point, at the end of 2023, we're still seeing this happen. But Jakar goes on 
as he talks about this, that one, he talks about the Narn are strong, not because of the voice of one, but because we have the voice of many. The Kari spoke as a group of many as one. That's the power of diversity right there, man. Like <laughs> you have to have multiple voices with different points of view, different lived experiences to give you that whole thing. And Jakar, in a moment where he could accept that throne, he could be Narn number one, which if we talk about Midnight on the Firing Line, that Jakar probably would have taken that deal. But that but Jakar has grown. Jakar has learned. Jakar has endured despite what dude said. Jakar's like, no, we were doing some things right. Like we can do them better, and we're probably gonna see a lot of that. Dude, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we didn't we didn't talk about this part at all. When that dude looked at him, it's like, we've all been here. What have you endured? Which by the way, I fully understand where he was coming from in that moment. Like, dude, you were out there on the cushy Babylon five station. We were here going through it. Except he's looking at a dude with his eye gouged out and a slash across his face, like literally staring him in the face. Yeah, who was just gonna get killed by vivisection literally i had by the way i had to go look up what vivisection was that is gross yeah for can we should we say what it is do it yep break it down although londo did a beautiful job describing it in an earlier episode but you you go no so it's literally when you take a person who is alive and you just start cutting them open that's it and he's a death by vivisection you're going to be alive you're going to be awake we're going to just start cutting you open until you die like oh awful it's so bad and then they were gonna like stack his organs up yeah and oh yeah oh Oh, my gosh but 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 that's why i loved i loved his response also which again midnight on the firing line jakar would have punched him in his pouch right he would have been like dude this jakar just laughed and walked away yeah just it's almost like Ah, uh, from the mouths of babes, you young child that doesn't know anything. Jeff, and I'm I'm sorry to kind of squat nope. in on your your side. One of the things I'm trying to teach my young son is it is okay to allow other people to be incorrect. You do not have to correct them. And and if you know that you know that you know that you're right about something, and they're just digging their heels in and they're whatever. You can just smile and be like, okay, dude, whatever. You don't have to keep going at it with them, especially if you know that you're right. Like, who do you have to prove that to? No one. It's okay. So when Jakar just looked at him and just started laughing and turned around and walked away, I was like, that's exactly that whole idea. Like, Jakar had nothing to prove to that guy. He didn't need that guy to be like, oh, yeah, of course, I see it your way now. Like, like, buddy, you have no idea. And turns turns around and walks away. Like he was so much bigger than that dude in that moment. It was such a power play. It reminds me of my favorite back in the days when I was still on Facebook and around like election time or whenever some political thing would happen. And I was put a little post up there that just said, oh, your uh, 26 page long Facebook post about such and such issue uh, caused me to think about this in a different way. Thank you. Said no one ever. Just don't. And in fact, if I get on my leadership share, get on my leadership chair for a minute here. It's one of the big things I teach the managers I work with. It's not about you being right. It's not about you saying the things that need to be said. It's about you creating an environment where people can understand. That's it. It's not about you being right. You give that up and you let the other person be right. That's weird. They tend to understand. Then they tend to perform. Things go really well. This was such a great message that came. It's really, to me, this is the key, the the capstone on Jakar's development. We're going to see a lot more with Jakar, right? I think his story is far from over. We're going to see how he gets uh, positioned. But I think in the the arc of, I'll say, Midnight on the Firing Line, or even worse, the Gathering version of Jakar up to now, like that moment when he literally said, they're already dead and we should pity them. That's enlightenment. That is growth. That is wisdom that only comes from enduring. It was great. It was powerful. And based on that alone, I'm giving this one three Delta Furies because uh, it was the end of the episode. But it's the cap cap to the whole arc. And I tell you what, I don't think it gets more Babylon 5 than Jakar laughing at dude and walking away. Is there any, uh, you take anyone from any series ever 
any one particular person in Star Trek that was a DVD cover person that would have been in that situation and would have laughed and walked away. Cisco. Maybe. Maybe. I could see Cisco do it. Maybe later season Cisco, not early season Cisco. No. <laughs> He's going to go fight that fight. But that's a big part. That was a big part of Star Trek. Kirk. Kirk was the peak of it. Not only am I right, I'm going to force my right onto you. I'm going to change your society because I know better. And I'm going to do it with my shirt ripped open. Yeah, looking pretty good, actually. And then I'm going to leave. I'm just going to take off and leave and hope things go well for you. Right, right. Well, Brent, we are creating the absolute 100% and completely accurate definitive ranking of the fourth season of Babylon 5. Currently, we've got in first place, whatever happened to Mr. Garibaldi, then the summoning, the hour of the wolf, and falling toward apotheosis. Brent, you get to round out the top five. Where do you put the long night? Yeah, this one's not much of a question for me. This is our new number one. It's the best episode of the season so far. Yeah, I can't I can't disagree. I love this episode. This was great. Again, I it's I know that I'm in the middle of something here and I, I, I feel it. But this I mean, each week, I feel like I'm just getting more and more engrossed in what's happening. I think you said it in the summoning. I think it was the summoning when you said it, when you're just like, yeah, we're, we're moving through. We're doing this stuff. But if this ever shows up on TV, I am sitting down and I am watching it. This isn't a laundry episode. This is me watching it. And that's the same with this one. I. When I was watching this the second time, taking notes, like I had to rewind a bunch because I was just watching it again. Right. Like it's just really great episode. That makes this part hard because that's it now for the long night. We're done. Next week, we're going to watch Into the Fire for the first time. Like Brent said earlier in the episode, we play a game where all we know is the title of the next episode. We haven't looked at any pictures, thumbnails, synopses, anything. All we know is that it's called Into the Fire. Brent, what do you think that episode's going to be about? Into the Fire. Okay, well, as I've said several times, I think we are super serialized right now. And also, I I got it. And also, JMS has pulled way more from Lord of the Rings than he has from DS9. Or than DS9 pulled from Babylon 5. So here's what I think is going to happen. You remember back in the day when I used to say, well, I think the next episode is a continuation of the story that they set up here. I'm literally <laughs> saying that for this one. I think this next episode is Ivanova heading off to meet the first ones, and that'll be a part of it. And the rest of it is going to be about the Vorlons and the shadows and the humans getting in the middle of whatever they're getting in the middle of. I think that's this next episode. I should be safe and end it there but I'm going to go a little bit deeper and get a little more specific with it. And this is where the Lord of the Rings piece comes in. I'm feeling a little frisky. Here we go. Uh, At the end of the episode, Sheridan and the crew are going to be screwed. They're backed up against a proverbial wall between the shadows and the Vorlons. And at first light on the third morning, Ivanova and the first ones are going to crest the hill like it's the Battle of Helm's Deep. And come in and just uh, save the day and obliterate the the shadows Vorlons altogether. Like shadows of Vorlons are getting toasted, both of them just getting toasted. You think that's going to happen in this episode? I definitely think Avanova and crew are out looking for first ones, and I think Sheridan and crew are right in the middle of it with the uh, with the Vorlons and shadows. My initial thought was where it would make sense to me is the episode ends with them backed against the wall. This is a cliffhanger mm-hmm. episode. And then they pick it up in the next next thing. Is there enough there to make two whole episodes out of? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. It could, I, I keep predicting it to take longer than I think it will, but it, it, it seems like they're moving really fast. So I think it might all happen in the same episode, but I wouldn't be shocked if it also ended cliffhanger style with Sheridan backed up against it. What do you think? I think we're getting the battle, right? I think this is this this Vorlon Shadow War. Yeah, this is it right here. I I, I think it's going to be less dramatic. I'm of the opinion that this is the last. I mean, outside of like mop up or whatever, this is it for the shadows and the Vorlon. Like you said, this is it. But I think that means we're getting the whole thing. They're going to show up. The shadows are going to show up. The Vorlons are going to show up. And then the first ones are going to show up. And we're going to get a solid like eight to 12 minute, all CG, pew, 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 pew. oh God, ah! stuff going on with stuff intercut of, you know, I, I've got you over here. Oh, escape life pod over this. Like it's going to be a super intense, super intense battle scene. 
intercut with stories of Londo and Veer on Centauri Prime doing their political machinations. I think this episode will end with Londo as Emperor. Okay. And we're going to find out right here next week. Thank you all so much for joining us. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Audible. I check it. I check that sometimes. It's, it's, it's cool. I'll check it. I'll read it right here on the podcast. But what I do want to do is ask you personally, I, Jeff Aiken, want to ask you on your podcatcher, on YouTube, wherever you're listening or watching, go hit that share button and send this podcast, this video, to someone who will enjoy it. Someone who has never watched Babylon 5 before is watching it for the first time or is watching it for the 483rd time. Send it to somebody who would enjoy it. It'll mean the absolute world to both Brent and myself. But until next time. Hey, hey, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, what's up, man? So, like, uh, you're not married or anything, right? Uh, Isil Zaveni, in Valen's name. I mean, we're not some, some deep space franchise. This station is about something. I was like, I don't know if I can say it. Isil Zaveni. I don't speak. I speak Minbari about as well as Ivanova.